From lifestyle, fitness, beauty, travel, relationships, and self-care, Steph's got you covered. Welcome to your safe space, where you can stop what you're doing, relax, and let someone else do the heavy lifting for once. This is the Luxury Dropout Podcast with your host, Stephanie Joplin. What's up, guys? It's Stephanie Joplin. Welcome, fellow dropouts, for another episode of the Luxury Dropout Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. She is a breakup coach. Her name is Dorothy Johnson. She is based out of Boston. She was introduced to me by my friend, Rosie Abrams, who you have heard from on this podcast as well. We went into every single breakup topic that you could possibly imagine. I shared some super funny stories about my personal breakups and the lessons I've learned along the way and about some of the advice that I give to my fellowship on social media, the questions that I get asked. I also ask you guys what kind of questions you wanted me to ask Dorothy and I delivered. So stay tuned for that as well. You will also learn about Dorothy's three months, no fail, get over your ex method using three different steps. And she goes into that here on the podcast. So grab a snack, grab a drink, grab your favorite stuffed animal, grab a Kleenex box. If you're going through it, I feel you girl. We've all been there. We really have. And gentlemen, if you've been there, gentlemen, we've all been there. And that's why I'm here. I'm bringing you the best of the best, bringing you the experts to help you get back on track once again and getting you feeling more like yourself. So without further ado, please welcome Dorothy Johnson to the podcast. All right, fellow dropouts, welcome back to the Luxury Dropout Podcast with me, your host, Stephanie Joplin. Today, I've got a really special guest. I am looking forward to getting down to the nitty gritty with my guest today. Her name is Dorothy Johnson. She is a breakup coach and just a mentor to many who are really going through it. Like these days, it is so hard to go through a breakup because of social media, in my opinion. And so Dorothy is really out there doing the Lord's work. (laughs) I love you. Thank you so much. So fun. Yes, of course. And we met through my friend, Rosie Abrams, who was on the show as well. It's her birthday today. Yes, it is her birthday in celebration of her. We shall have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Worked out so well. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. You know, I did a poll or like a questionnaire on my Instagram and I was like, Hey, does anyone have any questions? Look at all those questions. So fun. For those of you who are not looking at this visually, it's a huge list of questions. Some of them are mine as well, but there's a lot. And I have more on my phone that I didn't get to even write down. And then there's some that are very like specific as well, but I think they're important to talk about because I think that a lot of people are scared to speak up. I guess when they identify, like specifically, I'm talking about one of my friends is going through a gender transition. And so she is like really struggling with her breakup because her breakup, I guess, was because she wanted to go through this transition. So stuff like that, that's very like particular, but you never know who else is struggling with stuff like that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. I'm down to answer all the questions. I could talk about breakups all day. So I'm here. Oh my God. And you're prepared. Look at your, like your podcasting mic and like your headphones. I'm just, I love it. You're so prepared. It worked out so well. Well, cause I have to record for my podcast today. So I was like, oh my gosh, I'll just like do the setup for this. And then I'll have it fluffed over for the rest of the day. And yes, you, know that. you might be covering stuff that you've already covered. I know, but maybe 
some of my audience will trickle over into yours. I'm hoping. <laughs> I love it. Well, and I talk about the same stuff over and over and over again, because it's always going to be new or you might hear it in a fresh new way. I feel like you're not going to hear it until you're ready to hear it. That's what I think. You could tell your friend until you're blue in the damn face, not to be with this guy, but they're not going to listen until. <laughs> until they, yeah. They have to come to that conclusion themselves. We cannot force the conclusion on them. No, we really, we really can't. I've learned that over the years. Sadly. <laughs> you're like, I've tried. I've tried. I've always. tried. Really tried. And honestly, it's funny because everyone's like, you give such amazing advice. I'm like, I know I'm single. I get it. But I do like I give like the most legit like fire relationship advice. And yes, I'm single, but I feel like it's because like I just feel the bar so low. I always talk about this. The bar is so low right now for men that they still can't climb over it. And I've just had it. And so like the second that they do anything out of line, I'm like, no, next. Like I just maybe it's too much. Maybe I should like ease back a little bit, but like, I don't know. I don't think so. If you know what you want and those are like authentic wants for you, yeah, then that's not a problem. I made like a whole list, a manifestation list. I folded it up. I put it in my bedroom drawer and I'm like, my husband has this, my husband has this like present tense. And if they don't have those things, like you don't get to be my husband. <laughs> I love it. So yeah. good. Yeah. So we were talking about Instagram and you said you love my stories, which I'm so excited that you love my stories. Mm -hmm. They're so fun to watch, like totally obsessed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So I got to start with an anecdote because you're not my close friends yet. You will be. But this recently happened to me where I had an ex-boyfriend who I had blocked on like literally everything. I think there's a meme floating around out there where it's like when you've blocked your ex everywhere except for eBay. So that's like where they contact you. Like basically it's that, right? So I have him blocked on everything. And this is an ex from probably, I want to say 2012. It's a long time ago. And he recently Venmoed me 10 cents to try to talk to me. <laughs> 10 cents. Come on. Yeah. But like, it wasn't like the amount of money. It was like, just so he could send me a message. Does that make sense? Yes. But I think it's funny. Like 10 cents, like, like if, if you're gonna do that, go big or go home. If you're going to go that far, go big or go right. Home. And I had a lot of women be like, Oh my God, 10 cents. And I'm like, no, I'm like, just knowing him, it's not the point of the money. It's like just that he wanted to get to me, like somehow everyone always says, like, if he wanted to, he would like, they'll find a damn way to do it. <laughs> Even if they have to Venmo you. It's funny. I just recorded a podcast episode called when your ex comes back. Oh, good. And it's kind of interesting too, because I think a lot of people are like, well, what if he comes back? And I'm like, I think it isn't a question about what if he comes back. I think it is always a question about when they always circle back around. It is a fact. <laughs> it's over and over. I've only had one guy in my entire dating career. I'll say it's a career. Truly. Is. <laughs> one guy ever not come back. And it's because he'd already like gone back to another ex. And then they got married like shortly thereafter. That was the only one that didn't come back. And who's to say he's not going to. In the yeah. Future. Who's to say, I don't know. I mean, he's kind of, I'm going to say he's a wuss. I don't want to say the P word because that's offensive sometimes, but I will say he's a wuss and I don't know if he has the balls to do it, to be honest. So 
I want to talk about social media first, because I think that this is a topic that it's so raw and so real for me, especially like when I went through breakups in high school and like in college, it was hard. Don't get me wrong. It was definitely hard, but I wasn't like refreshing my feed, seeing if he was with another girl, checking to see if he'd messaged me constantly. What kind of role do you think this has played mentally on both men and women coming into the digital age with regards to breakups? It's huge. So huge. I remember going through like my most traumatic breakup, which was about five years ago. And I remember having a conversation with my dad, who is a psychologist. And I remember him just being like dumbfounded to the point where he was like, honestly, Dorothy, I don't know how to relate to you because when I would break up with a girl or a girl broke up with me, I never saw her. I didn't know where she was. I didn't know what she was doing. I didn't know if she was dating someone new and you know, everything. And he had moved on rather quickly and like posted this picture of like him and the new girl. And it was so traumatic and jarring to me because I'm like, okay, did everyone just forget about me? Like everyone's saying congratulations. And like half the people who are saying like, oh, you guys are so cute. Think it's me. And then the other half are like excited and happy for them. And I'm like, what? We were in a seven-year relationship. Like what is happening? Was this them getting engaged or? This was them like starting to date. And it was like a month after the end of our seven-year relationship. And it was just like, how does this happen? Like, how is everyone else okay with this? I remember it was just very jarring for me and so fascinating. And my dad just like could not understand it. And I was like, it's a whole new ball game. And then the other heartbreak that I had that was like, not as traumatic or jarring, but in high, it was in high school. And I think we might have had MySpace at that time, maybe. Yeah. Even that sometimes was a little. Hmm. Yeah. But we weren't spending our time on it and we didn't have smartphones. We didn't have smartphones. So we like, if you were away from the house and you weren't next to your computer, it was so much easier. And then you would like hear like through other people telling you, oh, he hung out with this person or this person or whatever. And it was less like traumatic and less like accessible to like look at and spend time on. So 100%, it's one of like the most common things that comes up. It was one of my first podcast episodes that I launched was how do you stop stalking his or her social media? And so when I teach my clients about it, I talk about it. Like the word that I use is an urge. Like you have a strong, intense urge or desire to check the social media or to reach out to him or whatever that is. And you've got to really learn how to build a relationship with those quote unquote urges of not making it mean something bad about yourself, not making it mean you shouldn't have those urges. Like, of course you do. Like literally you have like an addiction set in your brain where you once rewarded yourself with this person, you'd get a dopamine hit and like that whole cycle would start up. And when you remove the reward, it's like, I don't get the dopamine hit. I don't get the dopamine hit. And it builds it stronger and stronger. Just like as if you were to like immediately just cold turkey, stop sugar, like stop eating any sugar or stop having any caffeine. You get those like caffeine headaches or the sugar headaches. It's like the same type of thing, but with love. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause I was going to say when I was with my most recent, if you want to call him X, I suppose we can. When I was with him, I remember he would be next to me sleeping and I would go through his Facebook pictures, like just inquisitively in a lot of years, I haven't done like 
the deep dive stalking that I probably should do. But like, I remember it was like maybe two months in and he was sleeping and I was going through his Facebook pictures and I was like, oh, he looks cute there. Oh, he looks cute there. And you're right. It was like a dopamine hit. But now like I saw a picture of him at this mutual friend's wedding this past weekend. And I was like, like, like I almost like just (laughs) wanted to vomit. And it wasn't because I missed him. It wasn't that like feeling in your stomach that you are upset. It was more just like, ew, like, I don't want to see that guy, you know? It's so fascinating that you say that too, because the number one thing that I teach people is getting over your ex is learning how to reduce desire for that person. So when I talk about heartbreak, it's like, yeah, we can address all of the breakup symptoms by like going no contact and like doing all like the fadsy stuff that's out on the internet, or you can address the root cause, which is the desire that you have for your ex and desire is created through your thinking. Meaning, and the way that I describe this, I love like ice cream analogies. So yes. you're probably going to hear lots of them. I love your analogies. So I used to like love ice cream and I'd have ice cream like after my dinner almost every night. And the way that I described ice cream was like, it's my favorite food. It's delicious. It's ooey gooey. It melts in my mouth. The caramel, the chocolatey chunks, it's beautiful and amazing. When I describe it like that, it's very desirable. Versus when I describe ice cream as it's simply sugar and milk, like that's not as desirable. And I'm also slightly lactose intolerant. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And so then it becomes less desirable based off of the way that you think about that specific thing. So the same thing with your ex is you've got to learn how to reduce desire through changing your thoughts. And it's kind of funny because you've done that already with your most recent ex so much so that you're like, (laughs) yeah, well, the reason being is because I did exactly, as you said, I talked it out with someone who knew him mutually. And it was actually like an older adult. And I laid out on the table, everything that I did not like about him, like that he smoked a pack a day, that he only drank full sugar soda, that he only ate fast food, that he would belch and fart and burp and like go to bed with a full belly. And like, he was awful at making love, like just all these things that like were repulsive to me. And that list, like, even though I was still hurting, because he did some fucked up shit that's like for another day. But like that list has helped me because when I saw him in that photo, he was sweaty. He just looks like bloated and swollen and just like drunk. And I was talking to my sister. I was like, can you imagine if I would have had to take care of him after this wedding, like drunk as hell? No, I don't want to deal with it. And see how like not desirable that is. Like even the way that you just described it. So for anyone listening, when she described her ex in that way, it was very not desirable. Like a lot of us probably wouldn't desire that. <laughs> no, no one wants it. <laughs> and here's the other thing too, because I think people will get hung up on like, well, what if I really truly like thought my ex was amazing and so amazing and awesome and like all these beautiful things. And that can be true. And we don't necessarily have to like make this person to be out bad person or not amazing, but recognizing like, oh, just because that person had that one quality doesn't mean I'm not going to create it with someone else or find it in someone else. What was that thing you posted the other day? And it was like, it's a relationship being completed. That really resonated with me because that doesn't mean it's the end of your story. It means that part of your story is closed. Yes. And I think a lot of times, cause we'll say, oh, the relationship ended. That means I failed versus, oh, the relationship completed itself. And even that version of the relationship, because you might have a relationship with that person down the road and it doesn't mean it has to be the same relationship that you had with them the first time around. 
but 100%, I think talking about relationships in a way where we're saying, oh, that completed itself, not necessarily like ended is such an easier way to like, not only find acceptance, but create a lot of like peace and relief in your own mind. Absolutely. The peace and relief thing is you always tell your friends that are grieving and crying and just like inconsolable. You're like, it's going to be okay. It's going to take time. And like, you wish you could just pass the time for them, but it's almost like you have to be in that, in the trenches, like in that nitty gritty, like just depressive state to get through to the other side. Sometimes, I mean, I've been like that, but then I've had breakups where I haven't sobbed myself to sleep for seven months. Like what was better in a month or a couple weeks, but it just depends obviously. And of course there's like the trauma bonding type of relationships that are like way harder to get over. Can you actually explain what trauma bonding is? So I don't flub it, please. Yeah. Yes. So And I'm not an expert in trauma bonding. So I will just give you like my version of it. And trauma bonding is just saying that two people have gone through experiences that were difficult and then have bonded over those difficult experiences. An example of that is I have a client who her dad passed away and then her fiance at the time, his brother passed away. And so they bonded over how they both coped with those, you know, significant deaths in their life. So technically you could say that they were quote unquote trauma bonded, but it's more about like how you handle it moving forward. And I think a lot of times when people say I'm trauma bonded to someone, it makes them feel rather like defeated as if that's something outside of themselves and they can't do anything about, which is not necessarily true. It just means like, oh, I had a bond with someone over trauma, just like I had a bond with someone over something that might not be trauma. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be harder to get over. It doesn't mean that it's impossible to get over. It just means you're going to do it a little bit differently than someone else. Maybe that makes perfect sense to me. The way that I phrased it for myself and to correct me if I'm wrong, but for my trauma bonding, it was like a traumatic relationship, like almost emotionally abusive relationship. And then we'd have those like super high highs, the super low lows And we would like bond together after we had the super low lows. Like we would have these really lovey, lovey periods, this cycle of abuse that was going on. And I feel like that was such a trauma to both he and I really, I'm not saying that he or I, well, I would say he's at fault, but (laughs) I'm I'm trying to be diplomatic, but really it was him like he would cheat or he would lie about something and then I would leave and then he would come chase after me. And it was so dramatic. It was just all these dramatics and like taking off and like catching up to me with his car and like laying on top of my car roof, like just dramatic shit. Right. And I felt like that trauma bonded us in a way. And like, we couldn't fucking let go like either of us, because I would say I'm done with you and I'd block him. And then he would like show up at my house and climb over the gate to try to get to me. (laughs) I consider that a trauma bond. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, no. And it's kind of fascinating too, because it's just very cyclical. Like, and when you see cycles like that, or like a pattern like that, it's really interesting to look at it, especially even retrospectively, like you've been doing where it's like, why did I stay in that cycle? Like, what was I thinking and how was I feeling? And I think it has to do with the high highs and the low lows, right? Like the high highs, a phenomenal high high, but then the low lows are so dramatic and so exhausting and so tiresome. Well, it's funny because when I talk about feelings, obviously inside of my program, we do a lot of your feelings. 
And when I talk about that, I talk about it as the roller coaster of emotions. And I talk about it more so when you're outside of the relationship, but it also applies for when you're inside of a relationship is if you're tying your emotional well-being to somebody else, you're going to experience a lot of high highs and low lows versus when you recognize that you create your own emotions based off of what you're thinking, it stays pretty steady and it stays pretty in the middle. And so I have them go through an exercise where I have them outline when I'm experiencing my high highs, why am I experiencing them? And then they start listing all of these reasons because everything's amazing. My life's phenomenal. I love him so much. Like he loves me so much. Everything's working out perfectly. And that would be creating their high highs. And then I would say, well, what are the low lows being tied to? Like what externally do you think are creating the low lows, but also what thoughts are creating the low lows? And so they would be like, oh, well, when he leaves or when he says he no longer wants to be with me, or I saw something on Instagram, I'm experiencing the low lows because I'm thinking I'm never going to have that again. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't worthy enough. I wasn't whatever it might be. And noticing like all of those thoughts are what creates the high highs and the low lows, regardless of what he's doing. And a way that I can kind of explain that that's outside of a relationship context is I did this in the very beginning of my business. When I started my business, it's almost like what, three years ago now or two years ago, I used to do like consultation calls and I would feel extremely high and excited when someone was like, yes, I want to do this program. Let's do it. Because I was tying my emotional well-being to the person saying yes. And then when they would say no, I would experience low lows and I would make it mean something about me when in reality it had more to do with them. Right. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that's a good example of seeing it outside of your relationship. If you are going through high highs and low lows and are having a hard time explaining that or seeing that, I feel like that example gives you a little bit of insight as to like, it doesn't have anything to do with you and everything to do with them and what they're doing. It's just so easy to get trapped in the ego bait area. And for example, one of the guys that I wouldn't say he's an ex, he's a guy that I spoke with for a very long time. He lives in New York. So like, really, we weren't ever together. We had a lot of love bombing going on throughout the course of our relationship. I met him in New York and then he came to visit me one time and he's very stoic. He's a police officer. So he's very stoic. He's not, doesn't show emotion or talk about emotion very well, but he really like cared about me but I don't think he was ready or prepared to ever make a move to like move here or have me move there. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was like, he really wanted me, but he didn't know how. Right. So I told him, I was like, I have to stop. Like, I have to stop talking to you. I'm not going to block you, but I just can't be talking to you because every time I do, I get caught up again and we build this bond and then it just got false flat and I just get upset. So stop. So two days ago, he texted me and he was like, Hey Steph, how's it going? And I'm like, "Mm -mm, Nope. And then yesterday he Snapchatted me and it was just like a picture of him. He does like warrants or something. So he was like chasing bad guys. It was just (laughs) a picture. Super cool. So he was just like in the patrol car or whatever. I didn't answer it. And I kept thinking to myself, what will I get? from answering this text. Will I get a high out of it? Oh yeah, I will. I'll get that high of like my ego. It's feeling good. We're going to flirt. He's going to love bomb me for a couple of days. And then what's going to happen? The same thing that always happens. 
So I've really learned a lot from like ego tropping myself, but it's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. And you have to go through it. Like it's not something that someone can explain to you and then you don't do it. Like you have to go through it. Absolutely. Let me get to some of these questions before I talk about myself the whole time. Do you think that timing has a lot to do with whether a relationship is successful or not? Okay. So first thing I want to say is that I think almost all relationships are successful. And by saying that they're not innately makes it so that you failed. Like if you say a relationship is successful, it opens up the door to saying that a relationship is a failure, which then most people make it mean like I'm a failure, which is not necessarily true. So that's the first thing I want to address with that question is like looking at what does success look like to me? Does it mean like, oh, it means that the relationship lasts for forever. Does that truly have to be the definition of successful? Like even relationships that end so successful, like the one that you just described where it was like the high highs and low lows. It's like, that was successful because you realized that pattern. Like that was important. Yes. <laughs> right? You're right. You're right. But yes, when it comes to timing, I mean, timing, yes. Important. Obviously, I think that that's like a very hard yes. But I think what's even more important is intentions. So like, what's your intention for a relationship and what's the other person's intention for the relationship? And of course, that's where timing comes into play. Like if someone's in their early twenties, maybe their intention might not be to get married and have children. Whereas your intention might be to be married and have children. So yes, it's kind of a timing thing, but it's much more about intentions and whether or not you guys both have the same intentions for the relationship. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I just think that what I've been seeing a lot of lately is finally people are calling out romantic movies and like romantic comedies and things like that on this illusion of the perfect timing and serendipity and all of this shit and like romanticizing all that stuff because when we look at that, we get sad because we're just like, why isn't this happening to me? Obviously these are actors, but they are acting so well that you're just like, you're feeling all these emotions. You cry. I mean, there's movies that still make me cry to this day. I'm a Pisces. I cry just about everything. Okay. So (laughs) I look at it and I'm just like, you know, this really has me fucked up because I'm thinking I'm going to get some fucking happy ending. It doesn't look like that. It's like the intention has to be there. It's not because some guy sees a girl and there's a meet cute. And then all of a sudden she takes off her glasses and takes her hair down and has this like, you know, so kiss me like moment. (laughs) Sometimes that reminds me, like, do you ever wish that you had like background music playing in your life all the time? Like I (laughs) so do. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have a theme song? (laughs) I should. Now that you like, I'm like, what would my theme song be? You should definitely have a theme song. <laughs> I love so it. Funny. I know. I feel like mine would be something definitely from like early 2000s, like something man- like a Mandy Moore song. Ooh, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that Mandy Moore candy. Like I would be like walking down the street with like Mandy Moore. <laughs> I can so see that though. Like I can see that based off of the stories that I've seen of you. I can see that. Yes. I need help. I need help. <laughs> I love but- it. Thank you. Um, Okay. So say your ex, quote unquote, as you see it, moves on super quickly. 
maybe you don't stalk him on social media. Maybe you just hear about it through the grapevine or you see a picture, whatever it is, or you see them out and you see them with a girl and you're like, why is he so easy to move on or she, and why am I still stuck here in this gray zone? What do you have to say about that? Yeah. So a hundred percent people's action is always going to be fueled by the way that they feel and the way that they feel will always be created by their thinking. So the way that I look at it is an ex will move on quickly based off of what they're thinking about themselves in their life and how they're feeling. Now, the best way to handle that situation is to decide something like a story that serves you. So for me, when my ex moved on very quickly after the end of our relationship, I made it mean that he was struggling. Like if you really think about it, someone who goes into a relationship almost immediately after number one, like they might've been seeing that person before the relationship ended. So they might've done like a lot of the healing while still in the relationship. But then number two, a lot of times like you're hurting and it's hard and it's really, you're going through a lot of emotions. You're feeling sad. You're feeling devastated. You're feeling like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And maybe if you're the person who did the breaking up, you're feeling like regretful or remorseful or something like that. And then that would fuel finding comfort in someone else, trying to find comfort outside of yourself, seeking comfort within someone else. And so that's like the story that served me was believing that my ex moved on rather quickly because it was really hard to get over me. And that was the story that served me. And like, do I know if that's true or not? No, I've never had a conversation with with him to be like, (laughs) Hey, uh, why did you move on so quickly? So you have to create your own narrative. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Create your own narrative around it so that you can find peace and comfort in that and think about how you feel with that narrative. So yes, I hundred percent believe that people move on quickly because they're having a hard time coping and then that's their way, way of coping. So speaking of that with sex, right? I have a follower. He's this sweet, sweet. I call him a boy. He's a man. He's 24 and I'm in my mid thirties, like obviously a little different, but he's like, Stephanie, I don't know how to get over my ex. I'm so sad. Like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, I've tried going on dates, but all I do is think about her. And I'm like, honestly, babe, like you're not ready to date. Like if you're thinking about her the whole time you're with this other person, like take some time of self-reflection, take some time to heal, immerse yourself in whatever you're doing, and then go back out and try again. I'm not saying wait six months. I'm just saying, wait till you're not literally thinking about her the whole time. Cause you won't enjoy yourself. That's miserable. So then the other night he was like, well, I met this girl at the bar and she like wants to hook up and she wants to have sex. And so I think I'm going to like hook up with her. And I was like, does that serve you? Cause he doesn't seem like the typical male that just wants to like, sow his seed. Like he seems like a little bit more introspective because he's asking and seeking my advice. Right. So I kind of told him, I was like, is that going to serve you? Like once she leaves your bed, are you going to feel okay? Like, are you going to feel alone again or more alone? Maybe that's a little bit few and far between. Cause I think most men in their early twenties are a little different than that. And they'll probably just hop on to the next one. I don't know. Maybe that's wrong. <laughs> okay. So let's start with early twenties versus thirties and how we deal with to get over someone you get on top of someone. Like, how do you feel about that whole thing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel very similar with the way that I feel about like when people start dating, like, is it time to start having sex? Is it time to start dating? And my simple answer to that is looking at why, 
Like, why are you doing it? Are you doing it so that you can feel better? Because if that's the case, I don't recommend it. (laughs) I recommend learning to generate your own emotions through your own thoughts. But if you're doing it because you genuinely want to go out and create connection and build relationships and you have an intention behind it, I'm like, yeah, go for it. Do it. Even if your intention is just because you want to experience sex with multiple people, like go for it, do it. Right. But make sure you have an intention and make sure you're not doing it in hopes to feel better. Yes. In my twenties, I had this whole stage and I made a TikTok about it where I was my younger self. And I was like, I'll just have sex with him and then he'll love me. And the reality is like, that's nothing to do with it. It's like completely not (laughs) the thing. And I had girls like as young as 13 and 16 comment on it. And they were like, I wish I had known this. And I'm like, 13. (laughs) Oh my God. Like I lost my virginity to my fiance at the time when I was 19. I mean, I know now that they're having sex a lot younger, but I'm like, damn, I'm like, can someone talk to these young women? This makes me sad. I don't want them to think that. Yeah. So I want to talk about the block button because this is something that I am really not great about because immediately when someone fucks up pretty bad, I will block their ass like quicker than Yosemite Sam. Like I am like, (laughs) like on everything, just block on everything. And I want to know your thoughts on that because I feel like it's like a little bit of like my wounded masculine coming through. Like I'm going to put this wall up and you can't fuck with me ever again. And I don't even give it like the time to possibly heal. I just say, fuck you. And I'm just like done and out. I I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. No, I love it. So I think there's a time and a place for that. Okay. When a boundary violation has taken place, meaning like they've done something that violates a boundary for you. I think it makes sense to block someone. Like if someone's like physically threatening you or like something along those lines, I'm like, yes, block, block, block. Or if you just are really having like a really terrible time at trying to like allow your urges, kind of like what we were talking about before, I'm like, go ahead, block it. But where I like to help people get to is to a place where they just no longer are at the effect of other people. Like their emotional well being isn't at the effect of other people. And then when it comes to like the urges to check social media, I want you to be able to have the social media there. I want you to be able to not have to block that person and still not have the desire to check. Another example of this is like people who struggle with binge eating. I have a colleague who coaches people with binge eating and it's the same type of thing where it's like, you can take all of the binge foods out of the house. So that way you don't binge eat, or you can learn how to reduce your desire for binge eating and have the foods there and not be at the effect of the foods. Right. So it's kind of like that where it's like, yes, I think there's a time and a place to use the block button and it's an amazing tool. And how beautiful is that? And I love that. But then there's other times where it's like, am I doing this just because I don't want to take emotional responsibility? Absolutely. And I'm more talking about like, not just social media blocking. I'm talking about text, email, like any sort of thing, because I almost want to build this fortress of like, if I can't hear them or see them, you know, then I won't be as bad. It's sort of like that to me. And, but then after a while, I feel like I can unblock them, but it's like right at that point in time, I feel like I need to take all of the control. And I don't know if that's like a control freak thing. 
Mm, yeah. No, I mean, I, I think it just depends on the situation really, because at some point I'm like, I love that you love taking control of your life. Like that's beautiful. Cause some people would be like, I don't have control over it. And it's like, you do have a block button. So you do have control over it. But then where's the line between that versus like reacting to anger or reacting to like a strong negative emotion. Okay. Now for those that get that extreme sense of loss, that depression, that you can't get out of bed, you're not eating, you're not sleeping. It's affecting your work, especially at nighttime, like at nighttime, those thoughts come rushing in. What do you recommend? Like are some self-soothing techniques to get you through that initial period of extreme loss and depression? Yeah. There's so many things I feel like I could recommend. My number one tool that I think is amazing for this is the grief bubble is what it's called. And it's recognizing there's this like big, huge bubble of emotions. It's not just one. It's like devastation, loss, betrayal, anger, resentment. And you just have so many overwhelming emotions. You just like physically feel paralyzed. And what I recommend people to do in those situations is like, number one, just recognize that it's going to not last forever. And then number two, explore it all. So write down all of your feelings and for each feeling, do a little line that points over here. And then you write down what's creating that emotion for me. And so you have a list of feelings and a list of thoughts that are creating those feelings and recognizing that those are just optional beliefs that you're choosing to believe and then releasing them through embracing them, like embracing those emotions, recognizing like they're not there to like harm you or to be there for forever. They're literally there to just give you indicators that you cared about someone deeply and that is okay. It's totally 100% normal for you to feel devastation and loss and all of that. Another tool that I really like is called release writing. So good. I love it. I, I've done it. It's so good. Talk about it because it's right? so good. Uh, I love it. And so you grab a journal and a pen and you ask yourself if this emotion could speak or if this emotion could talk, what would it say? And you just write, 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 and allow yourself to like write until your energy shifts. You can write fast, you can write slow, but literally you're not going to reread it. So like, you just need to write, 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 write. And then you take it. Once your energy shifts, you take it, you rip it up, you throw it away, you wash your hands. And it's like a complete emotional shift in such a, like a short time frame. I love it. I prefer burning it, but don't do that at home. Do it outside. We're not liable <laughs> for any pyromaniacs that may be listening to this podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> and it's so funny you, you say that because we do a funeral for your ex. And so you yeah. have to decide like whether or not you want to do like a uh, cremation or like bury it. And so every time I'm like, oh my gosh, please be careful with your burnings. <laughs> so I did something very similar, but I wrote one letter about everything I was angry about. And then I wrote one letter for everything I was thankful for. And then I wrote one letter of forgiveness. And then I burned the angry one. And I didn't keep the other ones and I didn't send them anywhere. I just tossed them. But the anger I burned because I was like, this is very symbolic. Like I need to let go of these feelings. But with that particular one, I did hold on to anger a lot because, you know, I was in a car wreck. I don't know if you knew that. Oh no. I was in a car wreck in June and the man who was driving was a guy that I was dating and I held anger for him. Even though we weren't like together, we weren't going to get married or have a family or whatever, but I was so fucking pissed because this motherfucker, excuse my fucking language 
literally just decided to not pay attention when we were in Mexico and we were driving down the road and like in a death trap, airbags didn't work. Anti-lock brakes weren't working. The steering column, I could tell it was like not secure anyway. So he says there was an animal in the road. There was no animal on the road. He just was looking at his phone and he swerved and he hit into the median and the car flipped like three or four times. And ever since then, I've had excruciating hip and back pain on top of already injuries that I've had previously. Mm -hmm. So every time I feel pain in my back, I would get angry at him. And it was very hard for my like grief period to letting him go because I was over him, but I was not over my anger. And I ended up having to do something very unconventional. And I'm just like really wondering your opinion on it, which is I went to this very like spiritual store and they have all different kinds of like charms and spells and like candles and ritualistic stuff. And they actually suggested that I do a cord cutting ceremony. Oh, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm there for it. Yeah, dude, it worked. So for the listeners who don't know, it was a candle that was scissors and it had a twofold wick. And so they told me to carve his name, what happened, my pain, like everything that was bothering me into this candle. And then they gave me a special oil to like put on top of the candle and then I burned it. And then since then, I mean, I'll get upset every once in a while. Yes. My anger though, my extreme anger for this dude is gone. That's so cool. I love that. Anger was the hardest thing for me to let go too. Like I spent a year Googling how to forgive and let go, how to get over your ex, all of the things. And I did all of it. Like I meditated, I got in the best shape of my life. I traveled, I did all of it. And still like the hardest part for me, at least like that so much anger and resentment. And that was like the last thing for me to release. Yeah. How do you, I know you've done all the work. How do you forgive when your ex has done you so wrong? What is the first step? I mean, obviously it's different for everybody, but like, what is the first step to forgive someone? Because I think that that is a way to heal for yourself, not for him. You don't need to forgive him for him or her. Like you need to forgive him for yourself. Yeah. And so this is funny because I took a very analytical approach to forgiveness. And I was like, what is forgiveness? Like, what is it? And I am like, what's the definition of forgiveness? And the definition of forgiveness was letting go of anger and resentment. And when I realized that I was like, oh my gosh. So all that means is I have to let go of feeling angry and feeling resentful. And then that means I've forgiven. And when I realized and recognized that me feeling angry and resentful towards him didn't create any negative emotion for him. I was like mind blown mm-hmm. <laughs> because I thought that if I held on to the anger and the resentment, he would feel something or like, I felt like I was doing something to him when I wasn't letting go of the anger and resentment, but really I was the only one feeling and experiencing that, which was only hindering me and my human experience. And so when I recognized that it really helped me forgive and let go, because I was like, literally the only reason I'm forgiving is so that I can let go of anger and resentment. So that I don't have to experience anger and resentment. And then it's done. (laughs) It's like, holy buckets. This is for me, not for him. (laughs) Meanwhile, you're saying, holy buckets. I'm here dropping the F bomb. Like it's going out of style. I love it. Holy buckets. (laughs) (laughs) I I normally swear a lot. And so that's like one of the things that I had been working on the past three months, because I just swear all the time, which I'm on board for all the time. 
So now I picked up these other words. Like that was honestly the cutest thing I've ever heard though. Holy buckets. (laughs) I love you so much. I love it. It's so great. So what do you do when you have like the same friend group? Cause when you break up with someone and your friend's like, oh, I saw Greg posted this and you're like, can you just fucking not tell me about what Greg posted? Yeah. What do you do when you are in the same friend group? Like, do you set boundaries with your friends? Like, do you pull them aside? Like one by one individually and just be like, Hey, like Greg and I like still want to be friends with all you guys. I don't want it to be awkward for you. These are my boundaries. Is that what you would recommend to do? Yes and no. I don't normally do that. Or I advise my clients not to do that until it becomes a problem. So like sometimes it's not a problem and friends handle it great and it's not an issue and everything works out and it's awesome. Okay. And then other times there are issues where like people will bring up stuff like kind of like you were talking about, and you have two options at that point. You can either have the conversation about it. Like you mentioned of being like, here are my boundaries. Could you please And a boundary to me isn't necessarily telling them what to do. It's telling people what you will do if they do something. So it would be more of a conversation of like, Hey, if you bring this person up, I will remove myself from the situation, meaning I will leave and like not spend time with you. But a lot of times when you just explain yourself to your friends and like what you're going through and why you would rather not hear about what was going on with that person they're pretty usually understanding. And if they aren't, then they're probably not the type of human being you want to spend a lot of your time with anyways. And that also brings me to the whole like realm of like, should I remain friends with my ex? And I am very neutral about this. Like, I feel like it can work. I've seen it work, but do you have the same interests? And so you can even apply that to the friend group. Like, were you only friends with them because they were your ex-boyfriend's friends Or do you actually have very similar interests and you truly genuinely enjoy doing what it is they do? Because a lot of times, if you ask yourself that question, you'll be like, that's not actually what I love to do. It it reminds me of fantasy football. Like I was super into fantasy football when I dated my ex. And as soon as that was done, I was like, oh yeah, my colleagues were like, do you want to do a fantasy football? And I was like, actually not really. Like I thought I did, but I think I did that because my ex-boyfriend did it. But now that I'm not dating him, like I don't actually see myself sitting down on a Sunday and watching football. So no (laughs) hard pass. I like watching football, but I don't want to have to pay so much attention to it that it's going to detract from the rest of my day. I don't care about it that much. I love sports and all, but geez, (laughs) there's been situations where like with the friend group thing, when something very jarring has happened, like they cheated or whatever, I feel like that's hard. Cause you're just like sick and like, you just almost don't even want to be around them. So that happened to me. And it was funny because, and this is that one guy who never came back that I was telling you about all of his friends, literally all of them chose me. So like to this day, even his guy friends that were his like fraternity brothers, I was in both of their weddings, like as a bridesmaid and he doesn't talk to them anymore. Wow. That's wild. Like none of them chose him, like all the girls, all the guys. Now I still talk to them. And this was like 2010 that we broke up 2009. Did they continually bring him up though? Or did they never like talk about him? No, like every once in a while, they'll be like, oh yeah, like he's this and that he got a DUI, but it'll be like stuff that wasn't good. And then they're like, oh, did you know that he had a baby? I'm like, oh yeah. Like I heard that. I'm happy for him. Like I mean, great. Like, (laughs) like, I don't really care, but like he was definitely like, 
I don't know exactly the facts, but like he was definitely being sketch. So whatever it was, I just knew that I didn't want to be around him or a spot where he was. At first, I was desperate to get in touch with him because the way he broke up with me was that he left in the middle of the night and never broke up with me. So technically, we're still together um, (laughs) because he never broke up with me. But he never answered one phone call after he left during the night. And I just think that's just like a douchebag way to break up with someone. Like just face the person and be like, I don't want to be with you. I'd prefer that over you disappearing. Oh my God. This is a great question. I have a question for you. Yeah. Is there a good way to break up? No, I don't think there's a good way, but there's better ways. (laughs) I would say being upfront is the best way to be. And maybe this is like unpopular opinion. I don't think breaking up in person is a good idea. I think it's a terrible idea. I don't think breaking up in public is a good idea. I don't think breaking up in person is a good idea because at the end of the day, you're going to have to leave each other, right? You have to go your separate ways. If you're on the phone, I'm not talking about text. I'm talking about phone call specifically. I would definitely say phone call is warranted because at least they deserve that. But if you're in the same place physically, the other person is either going to walk off and you're not going to get to finish what you're going to say. And then it's like up in the air or it's going to be really dramatic. They're going to cry. They're going to scream. They're going to do whatever. They're going to accuse you of stuff. It's going to be really ugly. Or they'll be like, don't leave. Don't leave. No, please, please, baby, please don't leave. Please don't leave. And then like, it's hard to leave one another. So at least when you're on the phone, you can hang up the phone after the conversation and be in your own space and kind of like have that downtime to like really absorb what happened. Yeah. I kind of love that. I think that's funny because I was so hung up on the idea that my ex broke up with me on the phone. I was home last week. I'm going to be home in a week and you're breaking up with me on the phone. Like this is insane. But when I did so much thought work on it, I was like, of course it makes sense as to why he broke up with me on the phone. Cause I was that crazy person who would be like, we're not actually breaking up. I can't hear you. So we're not actually breaking up. I'm not leaving. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I know. (laughs) So funny. I feel like my rule of thumb is just like treat someone the way you want to be treated. So like if you could curate the best possible breakup for you, how would you do that and show up in a way that you can feel proud of and that you respect for yourself? And that's the best you can do. Yeah, I totally agree. I just think like this whole concept of like you need to meet them up in person and tell them in person is not... Right. I don't know who came up with those rules. Well, a hundred percent. I talk about like breakup rules where it's like, there's no rule book. You guys, there is no book of rules that says this is how a breakup is supposed to go. I see this all the time where they're like, well, if it wouldn't have been so messy, it would have been great. But then I have other people who are like, if it would have been messier, it would have been easier. Uh, What? No, we don't (laughs) want messy. The grass is always greener on the other side. That is true. I just think that with all of my breakups, the ghosting, like the extreme ghosting to where you were living with me. And then the next morning your stuff was gone and you were gone. That's probably not the best option. Cause then I'm just like blowing you the fuck up. (laughs) I'm like, where are you? Like, Oh, like, do you want to go have brunch? Like I had no idea. Like I thought he just had to leave. Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) And he didn't have that much stuff. He wasn't living with me. Like he had like a couple of things, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, Oh, he took his laundry. Oh, I wonder what he's doing for brunch. And then just like never heard from him again. So it's just because he couldn't face it. He couldn't face me and he didn't have to face me. He could have just texted even like at that point. And he could have just been like, I'm over it. And I would have been like, okay, like at least I heard from him. Maybe I would have had a breakdown, but at least I would have heard from him, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
This is a good one. So how do you know if you are fighting for someone you love and who loves you versus fighting for someone to love you? Ooh, I like that. I guess my question for that person would be, do I feel love no matter what my partner feels and experiences? Okay. Like, am I feeling loving feelings in the relationship, regardless of what he's doing or not doing he or she, how that other person is showing up? Okay. Maybe if we can bring up a hypothetical, like say they're going through a really hard time and say they had like a death in the family, like their parent passed away and they are retreating into themselves and you know, they need support, but they don't know how to express it. And you guys have had a great relationship up until then, but you're not feeling love from him currently because all of his emotion is in this grief, right? So what do you do at that point? Yeah. I mean, in that moment, you could still choose to feel love no matter what he's doing. So like, even if he's going through a hard time, like you're going to feel love if you're having loving thoughts. And so like, you could be having loving thoughts about him and how he's going through a hard time. I know he still loves me. I know he still cares about me. He's just struggling. He's going through this. That's totally fine. And then you're feeling and experiencing love because those are the thoughts that you choose. But I'm assuming you would stop feeling love if you started telling yourself like, this person sounds like they're questioning whether or not the other person loves them. Well, I think a lot of the time, like people have the love language of like quality time and words of affirmation. If they're not getting that, then they're going to question whether they're loved, right? If that's their love language. Yeah, I have a hard time because love language is I feel medium about love languages. <laughs> I know. I know. I, well, I believe in the basic concept because like, I know that there are people that I have loved that I've loved in my way that don't receive that love in that same way. And we didn't translate. And so when I learned that, I feel like my relationships were even with like friends yeah. were more not successful or whatever. Yeah. It's like a good tool in your toolbox, but just not something that you should rely on. And people don't need to show up in that way for you to experience love. But yeah, I love this question about fighting for love and fighting for something because it comes up all the time. And I just genuinely, when I think about a relationship, I really love the hypothetical you brought up because it's one that I haven't explored too much because I explore it from a place of like, why do we need to fight for relationships? Mm -hmm. I think it's something that we were told and taught growing up is like relationships are hard. You have to compromise and you have to fight for them. Yeah. And I like really question that. Like, is that really true that we have to fight for relationships? And like, do we want to be fighting for relationships? And like my most recent experience is I want a relationship that's very like natural and organic and that we don't have to fight for something. It just happens and it's organic. And it doesn't mean that it's always easy or that we never argue or have disagreements, but it's not something that we have to like fight to keep alive. But the example that you gave was so eye-opening because it's like, oh, what happens in an extreme example of where someone dies and they're just going through a really hard time. And I think that's where If I was in that situation, I would show up knowing and feeling like I love this person and they're just going through a really hard time. And maybe that hard time is going to last three months, six months, a year. How long am I down to be in a relationship like this? That's up to me. But in the meantime, I'm going to show up as like a loving, beautiful, amazing, supportive partner, knowing that my partner loves me dearly, regardless of what he's going through, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, but what if they're just like shutting down on you? What if they're just like, I can't right now. Cause they're, and that happens in grief where you're just like are reclusive 
I mean, do you just respect that boundary and you're just like, let me know whatever you need, basically? Well, it depends on what you want to do. Like for me personally, I would want to show up in a way that aligns with the kind of partner that I would want in that situation. So even if I was shutting down, I would want my partner to still check in with me. Like, at least for me, like when I'm shutting down or I'm upset, if someone like else like retreats from me, it only makes it worse. Yeah. Same for me too. But like men are so different. I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, again, you have to show up as the best version of you and know that you did everything that you believe you should have and feel proud of. Does that make sense? No, it absolutely does. I agree. It's like a fine line. I feel like you have to really question what the other person's motives are because like, would they do the same for you in the same situation? Yeah. And would you want them to do the same for you? So I think something that we haven't covered that is important for a lot of our listeners is people with kids because kids results from these relationships And what are you doing if you have like this toxic ass ex relationship that you constantly are bickering, fighting, it's terrible for the kid. You don't get along. Sometimes you do have to talk business. Like you have to talk about the house. You talk about the kid's schedule, whatever it is. Like you do have to talk, but like, how do you set the boundary? Like for them to freaking listen to you? Because I went through this with my recent ex, like she would just not stop between you and me and all my listeners. I think that he was like a little bit still allowing her to step over the boundary, but let's not talk about him. Let's talk about in general. How do you set that boundary for an ex that you have children with to make it as healthy as possible? Yeah. Okay. So when we're talking about boundaries, we have to revisit the fact that we can't control the humans. Like we can't control other people. And sometimes like, I know I wish we could, like, I do genuinely, like, I'm like, (laughs) I've tried all the things I promise you I've tried it. (laughs) And if I knew how to do it, I would sell it for a lot of money. And so when we think about that, we have to really come to a conclusion of like, how do I want to show up regardless of what my ex does or doesn't do, even when it comes to kids. So what do I think is most important for my child here? And how do I want to show up regardless of what my ex does or doesn't do? And getting really clear about that and what do I need to think and believe about myself to feel the way I need to feel, to show up in the way that I'm proud of and can feel confident about. So I talk about redefining your relationship with your ex, specifically when it comes to you have children and you're redefining it into a co-parenting relationship, what kind of co-parent do you want to be? Again, we can't control him or her. We can't control your ex, but we can control what kind of co-parent do I want to be? Yes. And that includes interacting with someone who might be irrational or doing things you don't want them to do or not listening to you or whatever that might be. How does that co-parent that I want to become show up in situations like that? Like, is it so extreme that I need to get a third party involved? Do I set a certain boundary that if you show up this way in front of the children, I take the children or like, what is that? And what does that look like? But you have to define what kind of co-parent you want to be and recognize like you have no control over how that other person is or receives your information or whether or not they listen to you. That is really good advice. Okay, guys, listen to this. Dorothy says you can't control your ex. Okay. (laughs) There's no puppet strings. So guess what? You control yourself. That's it. That's all you can do. 
but yeah, you're right. I mean, you just have to decide what is best for your kid. And I feel like a lot of the time people get caught up with trying to control their ex or manipulate their ex using their kid. And that is where the saddest part of it is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to be petty in a situation like that. And you're like, well, I'm not going to bring Lisa for dinner. Like, don't do that shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Be the bigger person is the advice. All right. Let me get to a couple more questions from these guys here. How to deal when she breaks up with you to date girls. How do you feel about that? I feel completely fine about that. I mean, really, like, I guess my question is like, why is that a problem? I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my first question is, why is that a problem? What are you making it mean about you? Like, what's the issue here in recognizing that that is an optional story you're telling yourself? Like, are you making it mean something negative about you? Like I wasn't man enough for her or like, I don't know. I have no idea what you might be making that mean. Yeah. I have no context. So I, I don't know this person. I'm, yeah. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, you're right. I mean, to me, it's just like saying, what if she dates up with me to date another man? It's the same thing to me yeah. anyways. Okay. This one's interesting. How often should we reevaluate our relationships to determine whether or not we should break up? I love this question. I evaluate my relationships every six months. Oh, how wonderful. Yes, I love it. So this all kind of formed recently when I left my most recent relationship to be single for a little bit and then start finding a new relationship because I realized we didn't have the same wants. Like I loved this man. He was so cool. Amazing guy. We had a lot of the same like interests everything was going well. I very much liked him. He was amazing. But what I started to recognize is that we didn't have the same desires in life. We didn't have the same wants, which is what we call a want match, meaning we didn't want the same things. And so when you start doing that, it feels kind of hard. You start trying to compromise, but I didn't want him to compromise himself. And I didn't want to compromise myself just so that we could be in a relationship together. Like to me, that didn't sit well. I didn't want him to change himself and I didn't want to change myself, but I didn't want to live in a relationship where we were like so separate and so independent that it felt like we weren't in a relationship. I felt like I was single, but I wasn't getting the benefits of being single. It was such a weird dynamic. So I was like, okay, if that's the case, what do I want? And so like I made a list of my wants, AKA a list of like your qualities that you would like in a partner. And I formulated questions that correlated with each of those wants to ask that on dates, like two or three to like, start asking those questions to see if they genuinely wanted those same things that I wanted, which was super fun and really hilarious to experience. And so once I did that, I ended up finding a partner who wanted all of the same wants and we started dating and we just like hit like about the six month mark I think it was like last month or the month before. And so I went through that same list again, seeing like the behavior that he has elicited in the last six months. Does it still match this? Like, is this still true for him? Does it really seem like he truly still wants the same wants as me? And I went through that list and like, it was all still exactly what I thought. Wow. Dorothy, that is freaking cool. Right. 
I love that. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm just going to do this every six months is like reevaluate. Do we still want the same wants? Because if not, like that's totally fine. That doesn't have to be a problem, but do I want to be with someone who doesn't want the same wants? Yes or no. And like, I think that will help evaluate every kind of milestone of the relationship. Does he know that you do this? (laughs) Yes, actually he does. So in the beginning, I don't know. I just loved questions. Like I love asking people questions, getting to know them and like, yeah, so fun for me. So I think he thought I just like, liked asking questions and I would pull some questions from the internet, but then I also like pulled questions that were specific to my list and like would sprinkle them in to make it not as obvious. (laughs) (laughs) And then as we got to know each other, then I like, was like, okay, so just so you know, I had a list of wants because I want this relationship to be like easeful and organic and natural. And I don't want you to change your wants because of what I want. And I don't want to change my wants because of what you want. And so I like shared it with him. And then actually, I think it was yesterday we were out for dinner and I was like, just so you know, I went through the list again and we want the same thing still. (laughs) Oh my God. But he probably knows that you are analytical like that just from your profession. I mean, he's going to know that. Yes. And he knows the whole like, thoughts, create feelings stuff. And so we have conversations about these things. Yeah. When I pull out my list about, like, I don't have a physical list, but when I pull out my mental list of boundaries and set them forth to a potential suitor, they're like, the fuck is this? I'm like, these are my boundaries, motherfucker. If you don't like them, (laughs) there's a door. Like I am so dead serious. I'm like, you will not step over these boundaries. Like I will not have it because I'm done with people walking all over me. I'm done with it. Yeah. I keep having hope that he's going to change his mind. Is this bad? I assume that this means like that he's going to change his mind about the breakup. Is this bad? I think it's bad for her mental health. What do you think? I don't feel like it's a bad thing unless you're using it against yourself. And again, that's where I'm just like, just assume he's going to change his mind. Of course, he's going to fucking change his mind because you're going to up level and be amazing and gorgeous and live a life that's bigger and better than the one that you had with your ex. So of course, at some point, he's going to change his mind. So if you're going to play with that, if you're going to dabble in it, just go all in and dive in that he's absolutely going to change his mind. And what are you going to do in the meantime? Like it's time to get to work and like become the best version of yourself so that if he does come back, you are a different person and you don't have the same kind of relationship that you had with him before. Does that inhibit you though, from like potentially moving on to find another person? Not if you're doing it the right way, Okay. right? Not if you're actually getting over your ex and reducing the desire for your ex, because then you won't be so attached to that one person. Speaking of manifestation, right? Like you won't be attached to trying to manifest your ex back. You're trying to manifest your committed partnership of a healthy relationship. And if you're truly doing that, Yes, you can still have the belief that my exes always change their mind and they always come back, but that doesn't mean that I want them back. Right. I think this particular woman, I think she's saying, I keep having hope he's going to come back and she's just waiting for him. That's the gist that I'm getting here. I would say to her, don't sit and wait for him. Prepare yourself for his arrival as if the aliens were coming. And what would you do for the aliens to arrive? How would you look? When the aliens arrive, don't you want to look your best? Don't you want to feel your best when the aliens arrive? Yeah. And that's what I'm saying is like, if you just go all in on believing that he's absolutely going to come back, then you would be doing your work to become the best version of yourself. And if you truly love someone, that's what you want. You want them to have the best version of the person they're dating. For sure. Why after a breakup, does the other person try and keep the relationship? Or I guess 
keep trying to call you or keep in touch or like have sex with you, things like that? Why do they do that? I have such a hard time with like one faced questions. Cause I just have questions that I want to ask the other person. I know I'm going to go with, <laughs> I know it's hard. I'm trying to give the people what they need here. But what I think is this is like, for me, I'm thinking it's like the typical, like they still want to feel loved without any pressure of being in a relationship. Well, yeah, I would think about why would you do this? I think about if I broke up with someone and stayed in contact with them and still tried to have sex with them, and why would I be doing that? I would be doing that because I'm afraid to let them go. Exactly. Right? Like they're afraid to like feel the feelings that come along with heartbreak that you're still going to have to go through, even if you're the person breaking up. Right. So I'm assuming that that's why they would be doing that is like, they're having a hard time letting go too. Yeah. Set the boundary, girlfriend, set the boundary. Okay. So this is dealing with a breakup due to gender transition. And then I asked her to go into it. She said, I guess like dealing with a breakup that was caused by my gender transition for a long time made me feel like that being trans was a negative because it's hard not to equate it with loss of a six year relationship with the person that you love so much was my last breakup still feel like I haven't been able to get back into dating because of it. It's kind of all over the place a little bit, but I think she was upset when she was texting. Poor thing. I think that you tell me if I'm wrong, cause you're the expert, but that information is a lot. Like if all of a sudden you're in a relationship for six years, even if you love that person, right. And as a person who is in the wrong gender and you identify as a woman, when you were born a male, you kind of have an understanding you've lived with it for probably 10 years, 15 years. So you kind of get it, but that person that you were with for six years that is blindsided by that information might have trouble processing it. Am I right? I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think on the other side of that is just making sure that you don't take that person's reaction to that information personally. That's more about them and them figuring themselves out and has nothing to do with you and your worth or your enoughness or even your lovability. Like when someone says that they can't love you, it has nothing to do with your lovability and everything to do with their capacity to love. And I think making sure that you're not taking like how they're reacting to the information that you're relaying personally about yourself is so important. Yeah. That's a really tough one. I mean, I can't even imagine going through something like that. It seems like people's love for you would either be stronger or go away completely. And that must be so disheartening to go through as a trans woman or man. So I just love that girl. She's awesome. We've been following each other for a couple of months. She shares like her highs and her lows, but I'm proud of her for being out and being herself. That's amazing. How inspiring is that? It is. Mm -hmm. Well, Dorothy, I think this has been one of the most insightful podcasts I've ever had. I feel like we've had a therapy session. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) So fun. I know. I know. Actually, I want to ask you, was the breakup that was five years ago, was that what caused you to get into this realm? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I thought so. Mm -hmm. Because you were just like, I want to help other people deal with all this shit, right? Like you were well, just and like- it was like, there was so much information online and none of it worked. And so I was just like, so caught off guard by how much information was online. That wasn't like actually valid. And there was a completely new way to do it, which was the way that I found, but it took me a year and a half to find it and figure it all out. And so I wanted to save people time because time has nothing to do with getting over your ex. Like 
doesn't take time to heal your heart. Time has nothing to do with it. And that's like the number one thing I heard. So all these things that I was hearing on how to handle it just weren't true. And so I felt like someone needed to come out and say all these things. And then I also remember searching like podcasts on how to get over your ex and I could not find anything. (laughs) And so I remember promising myself that if I ever got through getting over my ex, I was going to be the person to start that podcast. And so that's why I got the podcast and named it how to get over your ex. And so it was such a beautiful transition. Your podcast should be called Don't Slash His Tires. Um, (laughs) (laughs) When I was engaged to my now ex-husband, he wouldn't let me in the house. And so I like gently like tapped the garage, like with my car. (laughs) And like to this day, his fraternity brothers will not let it go. They're like, do you remember when you crashed your car into the house? I'm like, it was a gentle tap. Okay. It was a gentle tap. You go, I gently, and I just love your mannerisms. Can I think that's why I love your stories, like your mannerisms and the way you say, I just like love it so much. <laughs> Thank you. I just like, honestly, I was so dramatic. I was 20 years old and I just thought the world revolved around who I was with and a man defined me as a woman. So I was like, you better let me in this house or I'm going to kill myself. And then I'm going to blow up your house. Like I didn't even mean any of it. I was just talking out my ass. Um, So you have the three months or less, basically this process is a three-step process. Can you tell me like a little bit about it? Oh, I share all my things. So yeah, it's get over your ex in three months or less. So we spend the first four weeks really learning how to feel feelings, which is so important. Like you've got to feel the heartbreak. You've got to experience the grief, the loss, the devastation, the anger, and the betrayal. You've got to get comfortable feeling those discomfort, comfortable feeling uncomfortable and learning how to not react to your emotions. I was a huge reactor to my emotions. You mean like gently tapping a garage? <laughs> so good. <laughs> so good. And so the second portion of that is like creating closure. So like learning to rebuild your confidence, your worthiness, your enoughness, all of that, like building that relationship with yourself and then rewriting your breakup story in a way that's like empowering. It leaves you feeling like so fire and good and amazing. And then the last section is really focused on getting excited about your future. It's not just about getting over your ex. It's about building a life that's bigger and better than the one that you had with your ex. I love that. Yeah. So we go out and we do that. We create a life that your ex regrets leaving, but you're all the way to the point where it doesn't even matter. So have you had many clients where you get a phone call and you're like, he's back? Oh, it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Are you like, don't you dare? Don't do it. (laughs) Half the time I'm like, "Mm." like, I, of course, always let them make their decision because they know it's best for them. But do they? (laughs) But a lot of times they naturally have outgrown them. They've naturally outgrown the place that they were at with that person. And they're like, I have now created a life that's so much better that I want a partner that matches that. And then sometimes they're like, yeah, no, I want to give it a second try. And they feel good about that. So, well, that's cool that you've given them the tools to make those decisions. I feel like I was left to my own devices and I had to learn all of these things on my own by listening to podcasts, listening to people like you, but I had to vet people. You can't just read whatever on the internet. I mean, some people will tell you to go slash his tires. Like I said, I mean, (laughs) like you got to vet people and like really see that they know what they're talking about. Because like you said, the internet is like the half-life of your relationship is how long divided by 16 times (laughs) two. And that was when you'll get over him. Like what? Oh, I remember that rule. And I was like, so devastated. I was like, bitch, I don't have fucking three and a half years to get over this. (laughs) Thank you. Oh my God. For real. 
So one more question for you. This is a question I ask everybody on the podcast. If you were walking down the street and you saw yourself at 20 years old walking towards you and you got to give her a big hug and you got to squeeze her and then you just like left her embrace, looked at her and you could tell her one thing, one piece of advice, what would that be? <laughs> Keep falling madly in love. Oh, that's so beautiful. I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> I would tell her to just keep falling madly in love because the deeper in love with that person that she was falling in love with, like I had to be so deep in love with that man to like be so heartbroken to like get to the place that I'm at now. And I'm so grateful. And it's created a relationship with myself that just is untouchable. Like no one can fuck with the relationship that I have with me. And I love it. Oh my (laughs) God. I love it so much. It's great. I love the energy. That's how I feel too. And it sucks though, because I am truly a giver. Like I am such a lover and I give of myself so much. And I've had to really be careful of the love bombing stuff because like side note, like I get that a lot and not just like, I love you specifically, but it'll be like, Oh, Stephanie, I could really see myself with you forever. I want to put a baby in you. I could spend forever looking into your eyes, like just like that type of stuff. I get that a lot because I feel like I elicit strong reactions from people. Like either they fucking hate me or they really super love me. And so guys like tend to do that with me. And I'm such a romantic that I get so caught up. And then I have to like grieve over a breakup where I wasn't even with the person like where I wasn't even actually together with him or like a situation ship. Yeah. Yeah. Or even someone I hadn't even met, like someone that I met on Instagram that we've had like a relationship, mm-hmm. not like a real relationship, just like a situation ship. Like you said, for a year, we talk every day. We talk on the phone. We FaceTime. I love you, whatever. And then it's like, it doesn't work out. And then I'm grieving something that I wasn't even in. Yeah. So important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I don't know if I regret like wanting to believe in that love. No, I don't think you need to regret it. Like regret is optional and sometimes it's not even necessary. Yeah. And I know I need to like take words at face value. Words are not a contract. They're just words and you have to go by actions. I know these things innately, but thank you for validating me. I feel like it's okay for me to keep falling in love. Like I love what you said. Yes. I love falling in love. I think it's, I think love is always an option. It's always the best option. Well, I think I've fallen in love with you. So there's that (laughs) as well. Um, (laughs) I know. I can't wait for this episode to come out. Like I have them all planned out and they're like, well into November now. And I'm just like ready to upload this and be like, actually, could you like insert this over here? Let's do it. So exciting. I know. Oh my God. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Dorothy, for your time. This has been so insightful. It's going to help so many people. Even my sister who's been married for almost 10 years was like, I can't wait to listen to that one. I'm like, oh, oh yay. <laughs> That's so fun. Yeah. So fun. Thank you having, for having me on. I appreciate yes. it. Such an honor. I love your work. And I wish you all the best. Tell me what I can do to support you anytime you need anything. You know, I always share your resources, but if there's anything that me or my audience do to support you, you just let me know. Thank you. You are amazing. I appreciate you. Okay. Big kisses and hugs and I will see you soon. Okay. Sounds great. Bye girl. Bye Dorothy. Well, guys, that's a wrap for the luxury dropout today. I hope you learned a lot from Dorothy. I know I did so much insight 
really thought provoking subject matter. And I think that no matter where you are in your relationship, there's always room for improvement. My big takeaway was to reevaluate your relationship every six months and make sure it's still serving you. I thought that that was really neat. So if you are watching on YouTube, let me know what you think in the comments, like comment, subscribe. Don't forget to hit that notification bell. So you're the first to know when a video drops. If you are listening on a streaming platform, go ahead and leave me that five-star review. I would love to hear from you. And I'm just so glad that you're here. And remember until next time you are so loved, stay safe, and I will see you on the next one. That's a wrap for this episode of the Luxury Dropout. Make sure to visit stephaniejoplin.com to find all of Steph's episodes, including full podcast descriptions and photos of her guests. Until next time, besties.